Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Bob Doll is with us, Nuveen Asset Management Chief Equity Strategist. He joins us on the phone. Good morning to you, Bob. Morning, gents. Is it a question of 25 or 50 a month end, Bob? I don't think so. We're going to need to see a lot of weakness to, to get the 50 back on the table. I think the uh, jobs number at the beginning of the month told us, uh, you know, the economy's fine. Um, so uh, I think it's 25 and the debate should be what happens thereafter. The chairman was asked directly about that jobs report and whether it changes anything for you, him. And he, he answered quite directly too, Bob, that it changes absolutely nothing. The straight nothing, answer right. to that is no. I think if you came into this aware that the chairman was uncomfortable with the outlook and asked yourself whether the risks around that outlook have diminished in the last couple of weeks, the answer to that very simple question, Bob, was no. In yesterday's testimony, do you have any outstanding questions today? No, I, I, I agree with what you said a few minutes ago. Day two is, is more, more of a yawn. Look, there's... The, Inside the U.S., things are going really well. The problems are a bit with manufacturing and trade and all that's associated with that. And so we're, you know, when you expect an economy to grow about 2%, there are always some puts and takes. Last year, remember, we grew 3%, so it was mostly good news. Now it's a little bit more mixed. And we're starting to see that with corporate re-releases for second quarter earnings. There are more problems than uh, been the last few quarters in the pre-releases. Notably, they've come again more on the manufacturing and the trade side. The consumer seems fine and uh, financial somewhere in the middle. Now, Bob, good morning. You know, I'm making jokes about being all cash and finally getting in the market. But what is your conviction on higher <laughs> equity prices from here? So this is the way I hedge it, Tom. I think the path of least resistance is still up, comma, but. To think that central banks are going to bail us out if, in fact, earnings growth is going yeah. to be more flattish, I think is a tall order. So I'm, I'm a bit more cautious. I wouldn't chase them, uh, recognizing right. more time to talk out the other side of my mouth. Path the lease resistance still up. Look, if, if you've got a ton of cash, you shouldn't have a ton of cash because the economy's okay. And therefore, earnings are reasonably okay. I don't see big downside. But I don't see big upside. Our predictions coming into the year were choppy and frustrating, but no recession. Now, to be self-critical, it's better, been better than choppy and frustrating, no question about oh, it. Unreal. And I don't see a recession anytime soon. But, but what do you do with a defensive call? I mean, I've got a one-way flight here. Everybody's piling into defenses in the equity market. All my radar's up on that. Well, okay, there, there's where I'll be a contrarian. I think to trim the defensive, I'm going to call them expensive, um, doesn't need earnings growth, um, uh, at the expense of buying some things with a little bit of hair on it, call it the soft cyclicals. You don't have to go to the deep metal benders where you need big commodity price increases, but there are a lot of consumer yeah. cyclicals, there are a lot of tech you, cyclicals that yeah. I think are fine. John Farrell wants to talk about the tech cyclicals with a little hair on them. What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? Are we, are we cracking jokes five We're minutes into this jokes. show? Yeah, absolutely. So, 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 
so okay, let's let's say value cyclicals versus high PE cyclicals. Like like Cisco Systems has been a good stock. Yeah. There's more to go. Low, it's still a relatively low expectations expectation stock. Compare that to some of the stocks that have gone through the moon, and maybe their fundamentals have been really great. But I, but I'd rather get that risk reward right rather than paying anything for good news. Chuck Robbins and the team have done a great job over at Cisco over the last few years, Bob. And I don't think you're alone with that call. Just more broadly, you and the team put out a note at the start of the year and it's 10 predictions for the year ahead. And then you don't just bury it for the next 12 months and forget about it. You revisit it six months later and you're revisiting it now. Out of the 10 things you predicted at the start of this year, Bob, what's been the most difficult to get right, to get visibility on? Sector call has been our most difficult. Um, We thought, um, let me pick on our our, uh, things we've gotten wrong. We thought interest-sensitive defensive stocks would lag, utilities and REITs. That's not been the case, obviously. And while we said tech would do well, we also sadly said healthcare would do well. Medicare for all drug pricing concerns have gotten in the way. So that's been a difficult call for us. Bob Dahl, I, I, you know, we come in here in the morning, and you know I come in pretty early, and Farrell comes in at about 6.52 to get ready for 7. And both of us miss gold. I mean, I mean gold this morning, folks is breaking out the new highs. Good morning, Dennis Garbin. Good morning, Jeff Curry over at Goldman Sachs and others that have been really strong on gold. Bob Dahl on gold now. Is that a doll-like investment? No, it's not. I'm, I'm not a gold player in the up or the down. My observation is gold just tells, gives us lessons. And I think the lesson is, hey, guys, if the central banks keep flooding the system like they yeah. are, Inflation is never dead. I mean, look at wage growth in the U.S. I had to pick one little place. It's moving up slowly but surely. Uh, You know, we're over 3% year-over-year average hourly earnings. Thankfully, we've got reasonable productivity, so it's not hitting margins yet. But eventually, that will be a problem. And if it heads toward 4%, which it will if unemployment stays under 4 the Fed's not going to like it. Great briefing. Bob Dola, S&P 3000. We both feel ancient. Thank you so much with Naveen. What we're going to do now, we do this with some guests, particularly people with huge track record and skill. We're going to do that now with Christopher Grisanti on value. But Chris, I want to do mistakes and things to do, best practices in investing. Let's start with the obvious. You make a bet on a company and it goes down 10%. What do you do when a stock doesn't work out? Tom, that's the, that is the toughest question in the business. You've done all your research. You spent months talking to the company. You placed your bet on the table. And, and all of a sudden, in the short term, you're feeling stupid. What we do, we actually have a 10% rule. We regroup the whole team. The guy who's doesn't who recommended the stock doesn't even get a vote on this but he explains what's happening the rest of us vote right. whether we should cut our losses or double down just yeah. as often i'd say more often than not we double down is it the saint regis bar you do this i mean in front <laughs> if, of that if famous only. oh no no it's more like the okay. guillotine if yeah. the stock goes up 10 percent, right what do you do i know my answer my answer is the same as dennis garbins what do you do if the stock goes up 10 percent? we tend to be buyers of that Thank as you. well right anti this is anti-martingale theory good morning ed thorpe up in cambridge and this is what you do nobody right. does this it goes up 10 percent. you go yeah you buy right. more and, and and it's a bunch of reasons but we usually don't buy a whole 
crap load at the beginning. And can then, we, can, wait, wait a can minute. We can we say, say that? that on radio? Sorry about done it that. now. It's live on it's air. It's too late. It's but live on air. It's we buy dark. half a there crap load. Are people listening to us? I thought it was taped. <laughs> we buy <laughs> half a crap load, and then we're off to the races. If it's up 10%, we feel encouraged. Things are coming That's, through. For example, a great example just happened a half hour ago. Delta Airlines just reported terrific earnings. And and so that's something where we have a half a position and we could easily add the stock. Brilliant, up 10%. brilliant, brilliant. Did you see did you see we're live? We're live. <laughs> we're live on air on Bloomberg Radio. Chris, it's great to have you with us. Let's go back to that committee. You all get round a table and you vote. But the individual that recommended the stock doesn't get a vote. How important is it to take away the emotional attachment? That the stock picker has. Well, that's exactly that. You put the question on. He, he's, he or she is the person who has the information that we need, but they're too close to it. They're, they're, they're too invested. They don't want to have been seen as making a mistake. So they're pounding the table usually to buy it. So, you know, we've had some tough conversations where we say, no, no, yeah. it's time to cut our losses and go. And it's just as, as you know, a good track record isn't just picking stuff that goes up. It's getting rid of those things that okay. are really going to hurt you. Next question. Management shock. I'm not going to mention the company tragedy the ceo dies literally in o'hare like literally dies dumbest thing i ever did is i didn't sell the stock right there what do you do when you get executive shock within a core company that you own well the good thing about us is we do so much research before we go in so we generally know who's invaluable and fr frankly who's expendable so when that happens we have an opinion and it's generally a pretty right. well educated one about what we should do and, and okay. we're really of the belief that management matters like it matters who's running Apple right. even though they have a great phone John mentioned one of your great stories yeah. of how you were advantaged we were what was it John the by late buying 90s. Old? yeah 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 so in 98 our, 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 uh, we had a client who unfortunately died. I don't know if it was in O'Hare or not, but in January, and we couldn't. T the account was frozen. We couldn't touch it for the entire year. That turned out to be our best performing <laughs> account that year, and it's because everything was going up, and we were getting cautious, and we were selling Cisco because it had only tripled in value in Microsoft. <laughs> and so benign neglect is often the wisest that, thing to do with that, a portfolio. Is that our strategy? For right, that's our big slogan well, so for Chris, 98. What's, what's the lesson? What's the parallels now with an equity market at an all-time high and people? People start to get nervous. Yeah, I, I, you know, Jonathan, we are not seeing the valuations that scared us in 98. Uh, we have a tailwind. The Fed is accommodative. We think corporate earnings are going to be fine. Delta is a great example. They're up 7% in revenue year on year. Um, so I, I would say, Warren Buffett had a great line. He said, there are years where I would do my clients a great service if I just went to the beach the entire year. And, and 98 was one of those. This may be one of those. Of course, you never know. The, the, the thing is, you need to be sitting there in things like Christmas Eve of 2018 where there's opportunities and you can put a whole lot of bets on the table this is great I, yeah i had a lawyer once i paid just him so much money <laughs> that he bought a grand banks and he named it benign neglect chris grisanti it's great to see you you too John. thank you very much for your great. time grisanti Thanks. capital Thanks, management ceo really thoughtful stuff tom with the equity market through 3,000 yesterday. Great. You know, come on, folks. It's it, Grisanti's above SPX. What, six months trailing? Eight months trailing? What's a year trailing now. A yeah. year trailing. Yeah. You're above that. You know, how many people walk in here that can say that? Seriously. Not many. It's a huge respect. Chris Grisanti, thank you great so work, much. Chris. Uh, 18 stocks, you know, value, quality, and all that. We don't send out his research. Go to Mr. Grisanti to get their uh, research as you uh, choose. Lisa, you got to bring in the next guest because my neck hurts so bad from the whiplash of the last 
27 hours in interest rates. It's oh. just, it's just, I don't know anybody in a bond managing position cannot lose money this week. I mean, I just don't know how you do it. It's, I think that people are, are saying stay stay with longer-term perspectives. Joining us now, I'm so happy to say, Alicia Levine, Chief Strategist at BNY Mellon Investment Management. And we take a look at longer term. I have to wonder, do you fight uh, what's going on right now, this sort of flight to risk in the wake of expected rate cuts? Or do you, do you, do you, go, do you go against that? Or do you just dive right in with everybody else? Look, you know, as we've said, you know, we feel we're in the midst of a liquidity, you know, massive liquidity globally. It's a sea of liquidity lifting all asset prices. And it really reminds me of 1998. And the reason that it does is because the fundamentals are good enough. Right. So we're not looking at a 2006, 2007 where the real economic activity was falling off a cliff. We're looking at a softening. And therefore, this global liquidity is just lifting asset prices everywhere. Look at European high yield. Look at the spreads there. The ECB is okay. going to be buying corporate okay. bonds. Hard to lose money okay. that way. You two are too young to remember 1998. Trust me, it was ugly. There was some serious sweat on the beach. Alicia, this is real simple. As we lift prices with this wall of money, are we lifting them into a leverage condition like August of 1998? So I think the conditions for bubbles are present in that if we don't see a pickup in the real economy, we don't see corporates being able to bring profits to the bottom line, we don't see some deleveraging. If we don't see that, then the 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 the, the circumstances for a bubble are present, but they're not there yet. Okay, where specifically, uh, where's the most vulnerable spot for bubbles? So the, the Fed's actions today are going to support the riskiest parts of the market. So you're talking about leverage finance, you're talking about the leverage loan area, you're talking about the high yield area. So that's going to support those areas the most because companies can refinance at lower rates, so they're not at risk as much. And so that's where I would see the risk. But the difference today than 10 years ago during the global financial crisis is the risk on the leveraged loan side is now owned privately and not by the banks. So yeah. you don't get a systemic boomerang. Here's what I'm struggling with. People have been raising concerns about the leveraged finance area for about eight years now, and people have been concerned, and those concerns have not come to fruition again and again and again. And here we are, and yes, there has been a huge rally, but there's discretion, you're seeing discretion dispersion and returns among names that are winning and those that are losing. What are you looking for to say, now is the time that we can call this a bubble, it's dangerous, get out? So I think if you look at the more, um, the, the sectors that are most at risk, and we've just been talking offline about retail, and retail really is the sector that's most at risk here on the leverage side. And still, if you, still, still, because, you know, fundamental customer behavior has changed. And if you look at a Bad Bath & Beyond, for instance, I mean, this is a company- Bad Bath & Beyond, did you hear what she said? Bad Bath & Beyond. Um, it, <laughs> she auditioning? Continue. Tom, Tom just gave me the stink eye. <laughs> you know, look, I mean, here's a company that clearly did not change its business model, even as the world around it changed. Yeah. And, and there are plenty of retail companies out there that, in a sense, are walking zombies because of this global sea of liquidity and easy market, money. Is this bond market a walking zombie? That's the arch question. That's a great question. It's my only good one today, continue. It's a, it's a great question. I'll come yeah, up with yeah. something as good as Bad Beth and no. Beyond. No, I mean, it's, it's not the night of the living dead, but 
Look, few. And and corporates can cover their debts right now. But the risk always was when you raised rates too high and yields got too high, how in the world was this going to be refinanced going down the road? I'll say this. The corporate tax cut is no longer talked about. Right. This is continuing to provide cash flow for all these corporates. So on the investment grade side, you're fine. Right. I I have to wonder, uh, going forward, how much do investors have to lower their returns expectations in order not to take excessive risk and get caught with their pants down when the market does decline? You know, that's a great question. I mean, on the equity side right now, it seems to be that the market just it's levitating upward and the pain the pain trade is the short, right? Every, you know, if you were coming in short and you were selling and going into cash, that's the pain trade. So clearly expectations are for moving higher. And the truth of the matter is, if you look at 12-month forward multiples, yes, they're high, but they're not crazy. I mean, they're fully valued, right? So they're not excessively valued right now. Okay, so SPX 3000, what does BNY Mellon do for someone with cash to deploy? What do you do right now? So I, I think you have to buy U.S. equities. I mean, I you know, I you have to buy U.S. equities, but you have to hedge. So you have to hedge with 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 fixed income and you have to hedge with different strategies and you should definitely be in alternatives right now but you have to buy equity what's an alternative so you know hard assets real estate gold I'm not a gold bug. I want to get you I like real estate I like I'm I'm a New Yorker born and bred you know Bitcoin I, why not? I mean, the BNY Mel- Bitcoin is being used as a hedge for the debasing of currencies globally. I don't know. And don't I- forget, the word debasing comes from the fact that you know we were all on the gold standard, and if you added you know oh, junk yeah. to the base metal, you had can, can less get, value. Can we get a headline out? BNY Mellon says we're going to the Bitcoin standard. Does that work? No, please don't Doesn't do work. that. Alicia, Alicia Levine, Levine is, is coming. So please don't do that. Thank you so much. <laughs> we won't. Alicia Levine, thank you so much for being with us. Alicia Levine, always a blast. Chief strategist at BNY Mellon Investment Management with some real talk. We need to go because finally the weather here is actually lovely today in New York, but it's more lovely in Sun Valley, Idaho. Our colleague Paul Sweeney uh, is at the uh, Allen and Company scale event. Is everyone is scaling up with a scale event? They're all arriving, Paul. Everybody looks exceptionally casual. They've all got their knapsacks on their back. What's in the knapsacks? What's in the knapsack? I think is uh, you know a lot of. I think people are really starting to figure out. Um, this technology is really impacting uh, the traditional media, communications, entertainment businesses. We've seen it over the last, you know, certainly dozen years or so, but I think it's really coming home to roost for a lot of these companies as they see, you know, AT&T, a telecommunications company, by Time Warner, a media company, uh, Disney doubling down, uh, technology companies such as Facebook uh, and Google really becoming big players uh, in the in the media space. In fact, I spoke to media mogul John Malone about how media companies should interact with technology companies such as Google and Facebook. Here's what he had to say. They've changed the world, and they're the disruptors now. We were disruptors in our, <laughs> at our youth. Okay, right. now they're the disruptors. We have to figure out how to position ourselves to adapt to the changing world that they're changing. Uh, you're not going to fight them. So you better you better accept them as a as a fact, 
and then adjust your your uh, positioning. We're seeing a lot of you know when you come here to Sun Valley, it's it's a mixture, Tom and Lisa, of some of the you know traditional media companies, whether it's a newspaper company, a broadcaster, a cable network, plus some of the the new technology companies, obviously, um, you know, the, the Googles and the Facebook of, of the world, but also some of these companies that you really haven't really heard of before, but, you know, they're, they're new technologies and they're really starting to impact uh, the way consumers consume entertainment and communications in general. And I think, you know, these companies here, these CEOs are just trying to figure out how it all works and how they need to adapt their business models. So does adapting uh, mean basically understanding that everybody's cutting the cord and not relying on uh, on the sort of 30-second advertisement spot anymore is that the is that is that what adapting means or does it mean uh something deeper about the way people uh sort of cater yeah to me? yeah it's interesting I, th- I think you're absolutely right lisa it's certainly about that the cord cutting thing it's really a an issue that's been on the minds of these companies for the last three or four years and you know i think the most notable uh example of what that means for these companies is yeah. disney's acquisition of 21st century fox they're saying we just need to get bigger yeah. get more content so we can go yeah. direct to our consumers with our content. Is there anybody there from Hawkins, Indiana? <laughs> I'm not sure. Paul, Paul, nobody gives, cares about all this in, investment mumbo jumbo. Aren't they all there looking for the next script like Stranger Things? Um, it's you know it's interesting. There's a, a lot of content creators here. You know, even some of the uh, you know, all the studios are here. Uh, there's a lot of creative people here. The people that you know are coming up with all these. Uh, great streaming services and yeah. um, and so on, and all the big movie studios are here as well. So yeah. you know, there's gonna be there's 500 scripted television shows on television right now versus about 250 10 years ago. So yeah, it's never been a better time to be in the uh, content creation. Okay, but but is the is the basic thrust of all these fancy money people and the creative people gluing my kids to the modern digital space? Is it all just simply find the next Game of Thrones, find the next Stranger Things? I think it's I think it's more about that that that's it's always been a hit driven business you're right it's always been a content driven business but I think the real question now is how do I deliver my content to my consumers uh, in a way that I can maximize my revenue is because yeah. it used to just be I would just rely upon Brian Roberts Comcast to pipe all my content right into your 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 cable box but that's not the game anymore now it's I have to speak to you know uh, Reed Hastings of Netflix. I need to speak to but, uh, some of these telecom companies as well. So it's a whole different model. Paul, here's what I'm struggling with. When is the conversation going to shift from the very basic, oh, people are consuming their media online to what Netflix has actually gotten very good at, which is taking data, who's watching what, what types of uh, trends in plot lines actually appeal to people, and then crafting plot lines around that. In other words, having sort of an interactive experience with the user and using data in new innovative ways to create content. Yeah, you're exactly right. Netflix uh, really changed the game by their ability to have a direct relationship with their consumers. So they knew exactly what you like. What are you watching? Uh, you, and, and then creating content around that. And that is all about having that direct relationship with the consumer so you know exactly right. what your consumer is doing. And that's what uh, the big right. Bob Iger, the Walt Disney Company, is making with its Disney Plus streaming service. Paul, one final question. If that's the case, how does traditional TV respond to this besides showing the all-star baseball game with what appears to be very low ratings? I mean, how do they compete with Stranger Things telling my offspring that Jim Hopper, the chief of the Hawkins Police Department, is a bad guy? (laughs) Exactly. Well, I think the big media companies are trying to do 
everything or trying to appeal to the broad audience so they're going to maintain their and that's dead it's done well they're 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 doing both so you take a look at the walt disney company they're maintaining the abc broadcast network for the people that want that content yet they're also developing and putting most of their eggs in the basket of disney plus their streaming service to appeal to the consumers that have already cut the cord or or never really really been in the pay tv ecosystem and trying to appeal to everybody that way will it work um it remains to be seen Paul, this has been Are you having fun out there? Having a great time. When are you time coming back, like the first week of August? Yeah, that, 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 if that's okay with you guys. Yeah, it'll be good. Paul Sweeney, thank you so yeah. much for more important interviews through the day as well. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.